Fascinating people, fascinating places. G'day and welcome to the Dan Mainwaring Podcast. This is where we talk to and about the famous and the infamous, the celebrated and the obscure, the well-known and the undiscovered. Interviews, articles and discussion from around the globe. When you hear people talk about zealots and religious hate groups, you tend to think of some dour old cave dweller with a long beard or a 17th century Puritan with an obscenely large and seemingly unnecessary buckle on his hat. You don't typically think of a smiling, colourfully dressed, personable wife and mother who drops terms of endearment like hun into conversation while discussing serious topics such as hellfire and brimstone. But just down the road from where I live here in Kansas, a small Calvinist Protestant congregation, the Westboro Baptist Church, have made international headlines for their novel approach to funerals. Instead of offering flowers and sympathy cards and attending services for friends and family, they hold signs proclaiming damnation for the deceased and frequently show up at the funerals of strangers. They've also been particularly critical of anyone engaged in sexual activity outside of procreation and male-female marriage. In fact, today, here in Kansas City, they are holding a protest against comedian Jim Gaffigan, who, as they put it, was raised in the grotesque idolatry and perversion of the Catholic pedophile machine. As a Catholic myself, and coincidentally a fan of Gaffigan, I've always been curious about this group, not in terms of what they do, as that's been pretty well documented, but rather why they do it. The Bible prompts me to go to Mass once a week and try not to do anything that can't be offset by a few Hail Marys after confession. The same book, or rather, collection of books, has had a profoundly different impact on them. With COVID restrictions still in effect, I reached out to spokesperson Shirley Phelps Roper, whose father Fred, now deceased, founded the church. She agreed to a Skype interview. Now this is the bit where ordinarily I jump into the audio, but on this occasion, I have to offer a trigger warning. It would take a while to list everything that might be triggering in the following interview. But pretty much, if you're not in good standing as a member of the Westboro Baptist Church, you'll likely hear something that could well offend you. If you're okay with that, and like myself, curious to hear how they reconcile conventional understandings of Christianity with their activities, then buckle up. Hey, Shelly, how are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I am good. I think I need to turn this a little because you have to see some good things. Yeah, I see you have your signs up. Yeah, I got some. All right. You just got to see that guy, though, because he's the main event right now. He's not the only event, but the, he's the main one. The COVID sign? The one about the uh, coronavirus, yes. Yeah. So tell me about the coronavirus. I saw on your website whoever posted it was talking about Whoopi Goldberg having COVID and you know retribution for her sins. Well the main <laughs> thing that we were addressing in that writing I, I read it one of the young men wrote it and I was reading it yesterday and I thought he did good because he was addressing the fact that she said I did everything right. There's a verse that says that God is not in all their thoughts she starts talking about what she did right. She's talking about the wisdom of this world, which is enmity with God. 
there is no wisdom in this world that will do when you're talking about spiritual matters. And Whoopi Goldberg saying, I did everything right. I got my, my vaccines. I got my booster. Okay, do that. But now, if you're going to talk about right, well, there's some other things here. My introduction to Whoopi Goldberg was a, a, on a picket trip 20 years ago, maybe. I was on a picket trip, and I had a couple of my sons in a hotel room, and we started kind of channel surfing and came upon her, and she's talking along. And, and the stuff coming out of her mouth was awful. It was horrific. And then she starts mocking the passage in Leviticus where it says that if a woman lies down with a, with a cattle or with some animal, you kill the woman and you kill the animal. And she starts mocking that passage about the, the fact that the animal would be destroyed. And that's the way this generation is doing. They're talking about innocent this and that and nobody deserves this and nobody should ever have this happen to them. It's all you hear. You look at a news story where God has delivered a judgment, an earth judgment against a people or a person or a town or a state or a chunk of this country where he sends a, his whirlwind to do destructive things. You can only expect it to get worse and more because God has clearly, by all that you see, has purposed to destroy this nation. So on that point, obviously you're American and your group tends to focus an awful lot on America's destruction. In the big scheme of things, like the rest of the world or the other countries, do you see the same you, fate for them? Yes. If you believe what the scriptures say, you know that this isn't going to go on forever. And if you read them and you study them, you know that the time has come. You, all the signs are here. The coming of the Lord draweth nigh. And we're talking about the day of the Lord. No one's going to escape that. No one. And the Lord Jesus Christ said in the chapters, you got to get to Luke 21 and Matthew 24 and Mark 13. They talk about the day of the Lord. And the prophets talked about the day of the Lord. And Amos says, the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord, you say the day of the Lord, it's going to be nothing good for you. The day of the Lord, it's like as if a man escaped a lion and met a bear. There's not going to be any good thing for this generation in the day of the Lord. And that's where we hasten to, is the day of the Lord. So you think the end times are imminent? You have the signs in front of you, hon, just like we have. And if you are knowledgeable, if the Lord will open your eyes and you see what the words say written in his word, it's an inescapable conclusion. It's an inescapable conclusion. Okay, so like if you think back to the 13th century, the Black Plague in Europe, 50% of the population died. Wouldn't people back then have thought, oh, this must be the end of the world now? We're here 700 years later. What makes today really in the big scheme of things any worse than any other period of history? Knowledge. Consider this. 86, 84 or 86 or some high number like that percent of the population has a smartphone, which means they're all walking around with a Bible in their hand. And the Lord has made his word abundantly clear. Just consider how far and wide that the Lord has spread his word by the mouth of this tiny little nothing church. And he's caused the whole world to know of our faith. That 
sign about the coronavirus appeared mm-hmm. in the Jerusalem Post about the 1st of March of 2020. As soon as we saw this coming, we got that sign. The last trip we took was into Washington, D.C. for the APAC conference. And the next thing you know, within days, this country shut down. But that coronavirus is a work of God. It is his virus. It is his plague, his promised plague. And look at all the things it's doing. It doesn't just kill people. It's doing that. Where in the scripture do you find 800, by their count, 850,000 people in this country, 5.5 million people in this earth at least have perished from this plague. And it is in no wise done. Every time you think that you're going to escape it and go back to normal, what makes anyone think that they are entitled or are going to be permitted to go back to their normal life that was full of rebellion against God? Every single thing that this this earth does, the people in this country, they're partying. They want to get back to their partying. And then look at the discomfiture. He doesn't just kill you. Colorado, there was about a thousand homes destroyed just in that little fire. You understand that we were there on December the 18th and they were out there. We were on the steps of the state house. That state has the first ever sodomite in office marrying his partner that abomination happened right in front of god and everyone and what he said is my partner this jew what advantage then hath the jews much in every way this is new testament romans for unto them was committed the oracles of god so whether that gentile who sits in the office and married his jewish partner knew it or not the jew knows Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is abomination. And the Gentile knows. And it is in rebellion to these words that we have made this country see. People of Colorado prop that guy up in office and now he has married his partner. It says as it, as it was in the days of Noah, before the flood. You've got, there's a lot of things in that last statement that I want to kind of pick through. One being with Leviticus, talking about the abomination. And in Matthew, the same thing. This is New Testament. This is not, this is unchangeable. The Lord Jesus Christ is the same writer, the same word. Right. That's his gospel, the Old Testament. You think it's a different God, the Old Testament? I wonder because, I mean, Leviticus also says that eating shellfish is an abomination. So, I mean, have you protested Red Lobster? And the dietary law was done away with, but not... The moral law. Moral law was codified in the New Testament. The dietary law, full of types and shadows of the Lord Jesus Christ, was done away with because we now have that perfect sacrifice. Shellfish is on the menu if you like such things in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. I was looking at your points on your website. One of the issues you talk about was fornication under a category about why God doesn't like homosexuals. And it had a whole lot of scripture links, but none of them except for one came from the gospel. And one from the gospel was Matthew. And that was actually a quote, Jesus talking about why you shouldn't get divorced. It didn't say anything about fornication or about 
homosexuals. The Lord Jesus Christ in that passage you're talking about at Matthew 19, mm-hmm. where he says, let's put it like he's in the dynamic. Can you read? Have you not read? Yeah, I mean, he I read made it. made them from the beginning. Now listen to what he said. He that made them from the beginning made them male and female. So now you start there. You understand when you start talking about transgender and all the rest of this, these sub they're all sodomites, just subclasses of the same filthy, discontented rebellion against God. You cannot change your DNA and you cannot change your chromosomes. The Lord Jesus Christ said, he which made them from the beginning made them male and female. And for this cause, a man should leave his father and his mother and cleave unto his wife they twain shall be one flesh and he said that he could have had any coupling he said and why he made one man and one woman and why he had the residue of the spirit he could have made two men and one woman or two women and one man he did it to seek a godly seed you start messing with those things and you are messing with the fundamentals that God has put in place in this earth. My point was, Jesus was answering a question about divorce specifically. He wasn't Regardless, He wasn't he answering a question about homosexuals. Wisdom, all wrapped up in that. Divorce. So here's the point about the divorce. Malachi says, you cover that violence. If you have no longer twain, but one flesh, and you rip that, what happens if you rip your arm off? Is that a lot of violence that happened right there i mean is that a violent act isn't there take some real violence to rip an arm off just answer that honestly well yeah obviously yes so you're no longer two but one you're no longer twain you're one flesh now look at the damage that's done to a family when you do that And furthermore, God says that what's happened there is that you did not make your foundation in the Lord Jesus Christ, and therefore great is the ruin. All of this crap about love is love and I love, blah, blah, blah. I love my husband because he loves God. That was the foundation of my love for my husband. I appreciate that. But your group obviously protests a lot about people fornicating. And in John, we have the lady who's caught in the very act of adultery. And while Jesus doesn't say what she did was right, what he does say is, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. Everybody realizes they're sinful. How did he end that? What's the last thing he said to that woman? He said to her, go away and sin no more. Exactly. Right, but... But that's what we're telling you. But are you Jesus? Because it seems like you would be one of the crowd. Jesus would say, well, wait a minute. Are you without sin? If you obey today, if you go forward from today, go and sin no more and turn your messy, disobedient, rebellious manner of life to God and put away your proud sin. And if God would give you a heart to mourn if you will seek him, if today he will never mention, he says he'll put his sins, your sins, as far as the east is from the west. He will put it in the deepest sea. You're never going to hear about your sin from Christ 
ever again. I mean, I appreciate that. But what my point is, Jesus being God is essentially saying, don't do this anymore. We'll have a fresh start if you don't. But his criticism was of other people who were not God, who were how a lot of people view your group, saying, hey, oh, we're going to judge you. Wait a minute. I don't know you. I'm not, I'm not talking to you about you. I'm talking about a nation that has a policy of proud sin. When you stand in the courtroom and the federal judge, remember, we have a representative government. The federal judge says, nobody cares if you commit adultery. We have a policy of divorce and remarriage. What is the percentage of divorced divorce in this country? It's huge. I don't know what it is today, but it's huge. And you know I'm right. It's way past 50%. Right. I mean, I don't dispute that. We have that. a policy of fornication. All you have to do is turn on any TV. You can, young people don't even think there's anything wrong with it. We have gone so far away. God is not in all your thoughts. And then you say, we can do all of this sin, proud sin, pride, gay pride parade. God hates pride. Pride goeth before destruction. You've elevated these sodomites to where they are marching down the street in a pride parade. And it is good with everyone. Look, the other thing that we did the year before the plague was we were in New York City. June is something, it's Gay Pride. It's Gay Pride Month. Oh, World Pride is what they called it. World Pride. And walking, because you walk in New York City. A mm -hmm. lot of walking. So you're walking all over Manhattan. And every storefront, the flagships of many big store chains are in New York City. And by the next June, there is a video that you can find easily. Manhattan is a desolation, just a desolation. Nothing will ever be the same in Manhattan. What nation has ever survived that had a divorce rate like the United States? You drill that down and you'll find that they didn't survive. In your example, though, you're talking about the effect the pandemic had. I mean, there are churches all over the world that have been empty because of the pandemic and those people were going to worship god and they've had to deal with the same consequence of pandemic. you're saying people worship god in this world yeah where i mean in churches where do you find someone that will that hasn't filled a, you show me a church that hasn't filled their pews with divorce and remarriage and have young people fornicating you show me that church and then we'll talk about someone serving God. Don't tell me these people who call. You can call yourself anything. You can call yourself Pinocchio. Do not call yourself a Christian. And then if you don't walk, if you don't follow the teachings of Christ, you're not a Christian. You're a liar. Anyone can call themselves a Christian. Everyone. You can't swing a cat without hitting a Christian. But they're none of Christ. They have nothing to do with Christ. They say that they do, but in all their works, they're reprobate. Find that verse in Titus. Makes me think of the Catholic Church. Well, okay. They profess to know God, but they're reprobate in every good work. What it's about, though, in the Gospels, we have the parable of the Pharisee who, by all 
deeds. You know, he sounds like a good guy. He's not. He doesn't do bad things, robbing, adultery, or anything. He doesn't sound to me like he's a good guy. Well, I mean, he he says he hasn't committed any he sin. He says he is. You're right. He says right. he is. But well, then, let me tell you something. You're not going to catch anyone at Westboro Baptist Church calling themselves a good guy. So let's just move on past that Pharisee who was not the man who smote his chest and said, "God." Have mercy on me, a sinner. There was a, another guy. He may have been homosexual. There's not going to be a homosexual, a practicing, proud sodomite sitting in a church of the Lord Jesus Christ calling themselves a member. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. They're not going to be. First of all, you have to walk orderly to be a member of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you are living in proud sin, that is not walking orderly you would be excluded exclude that wicked person it says in acts 5 the man having sex with his stepmother exclude that wicked person uh, that's in first corinthians 5 and in second corinthians he said that man has repented don't let satan get an advantage over you you let him back in and comfort him he's repented but it's a remedy you're... excluding a person who's in, walking in proud sin is a remedy Right. When the remedy, if it's a if it's a servant of God, if it's one if he has a part, if his part and his lot is in Christ, he will put his sin away and he'll be back. Right, but you're saying you want to exclude those people, but in Mark Jesus says, I've come to call the sinners. So don't they have to be called first, hang out a bit, and then uh, change yeah. their ways? You seem to be saying, Nope, it's already too late for you. you. That you're not going to sit in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ where you are taught the concepts of mortifying this flesh. Look, faith without works is dead being alone. You show me your faith without works and I will show you my faith by my works. We are obligated and if you have a heart to know, the, know God, it is a matter of urgency to mortify you know, mortify, that means kill, to mortify the deeds of the flesh. You have an urgency to do that. A proud gay pride marching sodomite doesn't demonstrate any urgency to put away his proud sin. Thus, pride. You understand, you can't have repentance and pride in the same sentence except to say they don't go together. Someone who is sinful would go to church seeking to redress their sins and it would probably be a process to it. Just like Jesus was hanging out with tax collectors and prostitutes. They weren't suddenly just like, oh, right now I'm good. He had to kind of... He taught them. Taught them, right. So don't you go to church to get taught. You're saying... You go to church to get taught. Right. Where are you going to do that in this country? Everywhere you go, they'll tell you, you're okay, just give me some money, just put some money in the box, and you can do whatever the heck you want to do. And we will tell you that it's all good. But what you seem to be saying is, like, if I showed up Westboro Baptist Church, like, hey, I'm a sinner, you would be like, no, you can't, because you're a sinner. <sighs> Did you do that? Did you come to our church and we told you, no, you can't come here because you're a well, sinner? Well, you just told me that you'd have to exclude people who are sinners, so... You know, the Lord Jesus Christ, and I frankly believe he was mocking. Heal thyself. Physician, heal thyself. Well, I didn't come to heal people who don't need healing. I don't. I didn't come to heal them. I came to heal the sick. You, you understand, we're all sick. He was mocking them. I didn't call, come to save the righteous. 
and he only died for those whom God the Father chose. It says, all that thou hast given me, I've kept, except that traitor, Judas. He sent him to be with them. And then in Corinthians, it says, it needs be that you have heresies among you. Therefore, that way, those who are approved will be made manifest. There's always going to be rebels in the crowd. Well, okay, to another point then. And I mean, this is doctrine not just for your church, but other Calvinist churches. The idea that God has already pre-selected the chosen. So if someone who is... Elect. The scripture calls him the elect. Right. So elect if, according to the foreknowledge of God. So if somebody elect. hasn't been chosen, and in your view they're going to go to hell anyway, would it make any difference if they go around sinning? Because apparently their outcome is the same. And a person who... Uh, Sad, I'm, I'm sad to say. I'm, I'm sorry. That's the way you're going to leave that? You're just going to say that and then go your way? Well, I mean, I'm saying if, if someone hasn't been chosen to be saved, they're going to go to hell. Well, how do you know that? Because apparently if they were chosen and they had that faith that God would give them that grace, they'd know. So if they don't know, they may as well just kind of enjoy themselves. They might as well enjoy themselves. Well, I mean, if well, you understand what the difference is between you, 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 you can say, "Fine, I'll just go to hell." Fine, you can say that, and then you can say, "But I want the blessings of God on my myself, and on my neighbors, on my country." And so then, therefore, you make policies of righteousness. This country is given all over to the mob. The mob rules in doomed America, and the people, the leaders, they that lead thee cause thee to err. And they've taken away all the straight paths. And so we don't have any policies left of anything except proud sin. Is this working out? Fire that destroyed all those homes that displaced thousands of people in Colorado, is that good with you? I mean, it's not what I want. If you look at the- Well, that's what your attitude, that attitude, I'm not saying you personally. I'm saying though you said some people. Then they hate their neighbor. You hate your neighbor. It says, if you don't warn them against sin, you hate your neighbor in your heart. That's Leviticus 19, verses 17 and 18. It, don't hate your neighbor in your heart, but in any wise rebuke him. If you don't do that, you hate your neighbor in your heart. God, that's God t telling you. What it sounds like you're saying is that the condemned person is going to go to hell anyway, but the reason you're trying to warn them is so that you get kind of brownie points from God for warning them. Even though it's not going to help them, it's going to kind of help you in standing with God. Is that correct? Not me. The only thing it does, yes, it does help me. I stand, I take that back. I do not want your blood on my hand. You hear the trumpet sounding. The fire is a trumpet. The tornado is a trumpet. The trumpet warns of the wrath of God. We are sounding the trumpet. And if you don't do that, just read Ezekiel 33. If you don't go and warn them and they die in their sin, their blood will be required at your hand. Watchman, I've set you as a watchman. You don't get to decide these things. Jesus Christ said, you didn't choose me. I chose you. Paul says a necessity is laid upon me. If you have that necessity laid upon you, and you fail to do what you're supposed to do, you might as well think Jonah. The Lord told him to go to Nineveh and warn them. Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed. And Jonah thought to himself, 
The Lord is not going to destroy Nineveh. I am out of here. Those people are mean and hateful. Preaching to them is a lost cause. The Lord isn't going to destroy them. He hopped on the ship to go the other direction. And the Lord sent the horrible storm. I don't know if you've read Jonah, but there was a horrible storm. Mm -hmm. And the mariner said, why is the Lord doing this to us? And so they cast lots and the lot fell upon Jonah. And he said, they said, what have you done? And so he told them. He said, well, what should we do? He said, throw me overboard. And they said, no, we don't want your blood. We don't want to do this. And they asked the Lord to forgive them and to not cause his blood to be on their hands, that they don't want to murder this guy unless it's and the only way out of this is to throw him overboard. And he said, you got to throw me overboard. The scripture says he prepared the fish, the great fish that swallowed him up and then went before the eyes of everyone around. Can you imagine a beached whale? You know, that probably means... It's kind of like in Pinocchio. Anyway, spit him out there. So the word of what the Lord did to, to Jonah traveled far and wide, just like what he does with us. On your website, it has an awful lot of quotes from Paul. The main writer in the New Testament. So Paul being a guy who A, was Jewish, B, was a Pharisee, who was there when St. Stephen was killed. He was. Yes, right? he was. And then one day he says he met Jesus and he converted. He didn't just meet him. He was on the road to Damascus. Right. Bright light shone. So he him. comes back to the apostles and basically is like, okay, not only now am I a Christian, but also I'm going to kind of take over and start saying we can get rid of circumcision and we should be celibate and bring all these very pharisaic-like rules. Do you ever feel like Paul could have been a fifth columnist? Someone who couldn't beat them, so then he infiltrated and kind of hijacked things to discredit, because his stuff seems a lot different than the gospel. What? Really? All you're saying is, is that you don't believe the Bible. You don't believe the Word of God. I'm Uh, saying... No, you know what? No. Uh, The answer to your question is no, I have never, ever thought of Paul as anything but an exceedingly thankful, repentant soul and obedient. Look at what he suffered. He said to Ananias when he said, go over and talk to Paul. And he said, what? I've heard of this guy. And he said, he is a chosen vessel unto me and I am going to tell him what things he must suffer for my name's sake. About the time you turn to following Christ and obedience and then preaching this gospel and doing what we're supposed to do, which is to preach it to every creature, about the time you do that, you're going to be in trouble. But when Jesus was there himself, he said, Peter, you're the rock I'm going to build my church on. Then Paul comes along and they have disputes about this. No, buddy. So did Jesus change his mind? That is on the rock of my gospel built my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He didn't build his church on Peter. Peter was just another preacher, another servant of God, like all the rest of them. Why did then, if he had his chosen 12, then he had to like draft in Paul? Because I mean, Paul was a contemporary of Jesus. He, he had a job to do. Why wouldn't... He had a job to do. He, he had a job to do. Why? You're asking me why did God uh, choose him? Here's the deal. I don't know, and I don't care. I have some thoughts about it. I mean, it's occurred to me that Paul was very well educated. He was able to write. He was a, just like he said, he says, I have a pedigree second to none. 
Uh, I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I was this. I was that. And he was educated. Well, he sounds kind of prideful talking about his pedigree. No, he said, but I'm telling you this. It all amounts to nothing. It's dung. I don't care about any of that. I'm going to talk to you about Christ because it's not about me. It's about Christ. Paul was making a point in saying, don't say this. Understand that nothing in this earth, nothing in this life has any value. This is a small, teeny tiny bit of our existence that we spend on this earth. After we quit this earth, the real time starts. But yet that tiny little bit of time we spent on this earth will dictate what happens to us for eternity. It kind of makes it, makes it seem like it's foolishness on the part of every rebel who lives for today without considering the nothingness, the short. You look like you've lived long enough to be able to agree with me that this life goes by very quickly. It does. Very quickly. It does, but I am just puzzled about the disagreements between Peter and Paul because I feel Peter would have, obviously he hung out with Jesus for three years he was there right to the end. It seems to me that he would have a better idea of how things should be than this guy who spent most of his life on the outside actively running he against was it. Taught so that he was thoroughly versed in the Word of God at the feet of Gamaliel. He was educated in the best that the that the Jews had to offer at that time. He was a Roman, he had all the rights. Look, the Lord did that. The Lord gave him all of his pedigree, so to speak, to prepare him for the job that he had, which was to be an apostle to the Gentiles. That's why he is the primary writer in the New Testament. And if you give the glory of any of the forming, the placement, the this, the that, anything about the Bible to any other than God, that is his word. It is preserved by him through the ages. It is preserved by him. You're just saying... I don't believe. We've talked a lot about theology. One thing I wanted to ask, though, looking at, you've got various signs back there, and just a discussion with you. It seems as if you have toned down your rhetoric a bit, and you're not using offensive pejoratives anymore, which is a positive thing. Wait, what does that mean, offensive pejoratives? Particular word that in the past you used a lot to describe homosexuals. God hates fags? Is yeah. that what you mean? So that's our www.godhatesfags.com. That's our website. So you, so that's still because I just noticed today you haven't been using that, which I appreciate because it is quite offensive. But I think it's a given. Everyone knows that God hates fags. When you do have your website and it says that particular pejorative, wouldn't it have just been equally effective to use the English word homosexual rather than? Something that's deliberately I find, provocative. I find sodomite to be a good word, and the reason I use sodomite more today is because there are so many subclasses. When you start down the, let them make up their own mind, do their own decisions, your job is to keep them safe. Your job is to teach them what the Lord their God requires of them. And after that, all the rest will be fine. Your job is to obey. And if you don't do that and teach them every day, in every way, with everything that you do and say what the Lord their God requires of them, you, you are cheating them. You are stealing from them. You are taking their future and eternity. Obviously, you're a parent. You have a lot of children. 
some of whom have left your church. Do you stay in touch with them or do you see them coming back to the church? I, I don't have any control over it, but I have a pretty good, I know that the scripture says that it is impossible. Talking about Hebrews, I think four or six, where it says it is impossible once they've participated in this, they've tasted of these good things. And if they should fall away to bring them again to repentance because they have crucified the Son of God afresh and laid him to an open shame. So I don't expect them to come back. And by the way, some of them have behaved. I don't see that it would be possible for them to come back because you don't get to commit the sin against the Holy Ghost. There's no forgiveness, and not in this life and not in the life to come. But what about, like, the prodigal son? The prodigal son didn't commit the sin against the Holy Ghost. He was just foolish. And there is a prodigal son. There is a prodigal son so that we don't despair. But there's only one so that we don't presume. There was only one thief on the cross so that we don't despair. But there was only one so we do not presume. Do you miss your kids who've left? Uh, Actually, no. By the time they left, they demonstrated that they had no part with God. Look, I raised them. I birthed them. I loved them. Anything that I had to offer them, anything I could do for them, I did what I could do while they were with me. But once they turn their back on God, and once they kick off, they think, they kick off the traces, they haven't really kicked off anything because they have way too much knowledge. So you've got that Hebrews 10 that says, if we sin willfully, after that we have received a knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation that will devour the adversary. So what I expect is that as their years go by, they will have a certain fearful looking for of judgment. And it's not going to go well. They're not going to have peace. But if the Lord would give any of them repentance and they came back, yay. If not, yay. It's in God's hands, basically. Exactly, and and everything is, of course. Well, stone the flaming crows. It's time for Dan to do the Harry. Watch out for the next podcast and follow all Dan's activities at www.danielmainwaring.com.